Hi everyone, how are you doing? My name's Gareth Duffin and welcome to Know Your Shift, a podcast where we explore the challenges, opportunities and impact of change in all of our lives. Change can be unsettling and often difficult to navigate, but it's also a part of growth and progress. On this show, we'll be talking to experts, business leaders and everyday people about their experiences with change and how they've overcome obstacles to embrace it. Whether you're looking for inspiration, practical tips, or just a fresh perspective on change, we get actionable advice. So let's dive into the world of change, embrace the unknown, and help you to change your direction. Hi, Nick. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, we'll always start with the same first question. So what has been the hardest change that's happened to you in your life? Well, Gareth, look, thank you very much for inviting me. It's nice to be on the other side as um, because I host a podcast myself. I've been scratching my head at this question the last couple of days. And if I look back into my past life, I'm, I was finding it really difficult to, to come up with something. I mean, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had many life-changing moments i haven't had a serious illness i haven't moved country i've moved cities between london birmingham and manchester but they're all fairly major cities so it wasn't anything too dramatic i haven't had perhaps a huge career move so i was struggling a bit um so i wanted to flip it slightly and, and perhaps talk about maybe a big challenge i've had um and how i've overcome it especially in the professional workplace and um i was very fortunate devil smith to be given the opportunity to lead the the build to end division um and I guess there was no expectation of what what I do and the types of things I have to do but um you know as, as sort of a leader I wanted to be someone who is a thought a thought leader and someone who can stand up in front of people and uh, and give talks and there was an instance three years ago uh where I was asked to stand up in front of just Deborah Smith internally about 100 people absolutely froze heart raced I had a panic attack and wow. it, yeah and it, and it absolutely knocked my confidence and and not just wasn't just for public speaking it then it led into a, a flurry of panic attacks and other situations whether that would be meeting with a client or being in a situation perhaps where i it could it could make me feel uncomfortable so it really knocked me uh, and i um i what i decided to do for two years is to do nothing and i and it basically avoided um any situation which i thought would cause myself to have a panic attack so basically public situations was a big no for me um but you know but then on the other side i'm i'm building this brilliant career at devil smith and um i you know i had a decision to make either i just decide yep yeah, i'm public speaking is not for me I, I never want to try it again or i do something about it so i decided let's do something about it so um i spoke to friends and family um i got given various bits of advice um and what what was uh what i was told to look at is something called hypnotherapy um and people might when, when people say hypnotherapy they might think of hypnotists and what they see on the tv and it's not uh perhaps as theatrical as putting you to sleep it's um what hypnotherapy is in a nutshell is it it, it allows you well, it, it changes your state of mind and it puts you in a in a deep sense of relaxation and what it helped me to do was you, know, you talk to a therapist on a weekly basis it was on zoom which is incredibly easy they put you in this state of relaxation and they help you manage your breathing um, and, and help you imagine being in those situations of speaking to 
hundred people, a thousand people, and they give you different tools of how to manage those moments where you think you might have the sort of the rush of breathing or the or the panic attack. Um, and that was that was um, that was absolutely the game changer for me. And I, I purposely um, challenged myself to do something at the end of that process to see basically if it would work. So um, I was very fortunate to be asked to sit on a panel at a conference with the UK AA. Um, wasn't a, a huge group of people. It was probably about 70 people, um, but enough for me that, you know, that's the sort of Big challenge. Yeah. Um, and I did it and, and I, and I, and I felt horrible the night before felt horrible on the day. Um, but using all the tips I was taught from the hypnotherapist, it worked and I was absolutely fine. And actually by, by sort of halfway through, I was really enjoying it. Um, and I told myself after, right, great. You've, you, you've overcome your fear. Let's keep going. So I then decided I volunteered to speak in front of the company. Again, we host something called bar stools and bar stools when someone literally sits on a bar stool and they talk about anything they want. So I, I spoke about productivity and how to be, um, I, I guess, work smarter rather than not necessarily harder work smarter um that was in front of about 65 people and that actually was more nerve-wracking for me because i'm i'm speaking in front of people who've seen me have i don't want to say fail that in my eyes i called it a failure but have seen me struggle before um that was only a couple of weeks ago and it absolutely went brilliantly and everybody came up to me after saying how good they thought it was um so i want to keep going my, my a friend from university has asked me to be his best man which is um, a, a very nice position to be in so I've got to do a best man speech in October so um, you know it's an ongoing process um, I think I've overcome the first hurdle but I um, I want to keep going and I guess I wanted to bring this example up because I, I, I think I, I, I assume most people don't really like public speaking and there's probably a lot of people who've never tried it before and want to and, and I guess this is just a, a nice example of of what you can do if you're if you're anxious about it. No, thanks very much for sharing. And I guess a couple of things come to mind is well, the first one I think maybe you've answered is, you know, do you are you still having to keep practice those techniques that you learn in hypnotherapy? And um, yeah. I guess the other question is, um, given you were speaking and you uh, had that you know in front of colleagues and your team essentially as a leader in the team, like, do you think that they respected you more for? coming back and doing it sort of you know that vulnerability showing that yeah i think look because devil smith it's recruitment we, you know, we we've hired a lot of people since then so a lot of people probably didn't know um and it was sort yeah. of my secret but there were sort of that legacy group who were there before who knew how uncomfortable it made me feel so um they were very nice about it after and, and actually um asking some advice for themselves um, so that was a really fortunate thing. To answer your first question, um, absolutely, it's an ongoing process. It's not that I had the therapy a year ago and I haven't done anything since then. They, they teach you, I guess, coping mechanisms to continue in future. Um, so what my therapist introduced me to is mindfulness. And you can do mindfulness in lots of different ways, but essentially it's, it's meditation. Um, so there's various uh, apps you can use. I use Headspace. Uh, I'd love to say I use it every day. I I don't unfortunately life just gets in the way but i will i will tend to do a, a mindfulness session perhaps the day before a, an event where i'm speaking or or just when you're feeling a little bit like you just need that extra little bit of support and it's um it really brings you back to brings you back to gives you a level head i think that's really really good advice and um yeah i get the the notifications daily from the from the mindfulness apps and yeah, yeah you always uh press mute or silence it or yeah. <laughs> go away think, and perhaps you shouldn't perhaps i should listen to I, it I think, more. I think Gareth, as well um 
The other thing to to complement this, and I think we all know these things, but it, it, it's doing the basics. It's you know, having enough sleep every night, eating a healthy diet, drinking lots of water, exercising. We all know that we should do these things and they make you feel better, but we, as humans, we do neglect them. And I'm definitely um, guilty for that. Um, but I have learned when I'm actually doing those things, drinking less alcohol as well, um, puts me in a, in a much better state of mind. So that sort of partner with hypnotherapy and the mindfulness um, just puts you in a much better, much better space. I think I always used to have too much caffeine before speaking publicly. Yeah. It was always, uh, used to yeah. either make me talk too much or a bit jittery. So, uh, so that was something I learned not to do. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I've cut down, cut down to two max a day now. <laughs> so, uh, mm. I guess, um, everybody has an opinion about recruitment and, and what yeah. you guys do. How would you describe what you do? Yeah. So, um, well, my roles actually changed quite recently. So I, I, I look after executive hires. So if, if you look at the organogram of a business, it's basically more of a, a, a strategic decision maker. So that could be the CEO, could be the operations director, the HR director, someone who's come in who is transformative and looking to make change. Um, and that's a really exciting, it's been a really uh, eye-opening and exciting space to be in. Because uh, I guess the way we sort of, we go and find those people is is, is different to perhaps the usual methodology people usually think, you know, we're not, we're not creating job adverts and we're not gathering job boards. We're, we're actually, there's a much more methodical approach to go and find those people. Um, I have a full-time researcher work for me. You know, um, Rachel, she's an absolute brain box. She doesn't recruit day to day, but what she does is map and identify the market and, and knows a lot more about, uh, about the market than myself. And, uh, and she will identify uh, everyone that perhaps could, you know, fit, fits the mandate that I'm working on. And I guess when I look at executive search, um, it look, I, I look at, we're doing some, we're doing it the, the correct way and we're, 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 we're finding the right people for the right companies. So do you think recruitment and recruiters sometimes get a bad reputation? Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a saturated market. It's not regulated and, I do think that, and don't get me wrong, there's a, there's some brilliant recruiters out there uh, that we know of, but their standards have slipped and and some just basic things like communication um, would, would, would go a long way. So it's frustrating when, uh, I guess, people base their experiences to have a view of everyone in the sector. Um, I promise that's not always the case. And I guess what the advice is, it's trying to find the right people and you can do that through asking your friends because um the recruitment market is important to getting people in work and ensuring that uh unemployment is is as low as possible i think one thing that i've sort of been thinking about recently and, and talking to a couple of clients about recently is there still seems to be a hangover from the pandemic and it seems like nobody really talks about it anymore and we're just sort of shuffling our way through and it and it's you know, if you had a critical incident in your business, you would sit down and review it and see what went wrong. And, and it feels like we haven't done that for the pandemic. So I guess a couple of things. One was, what was it like recruiting during the pandemic in, in your sector? And, um, you know, has it had a lasting effect on, on recruitment going forward? Yeah. Uh, pandemic was a very scary period. Um, you know, we, you know, it, I, I, overnight, we, we were working on a number of 
of mandates and uh, and literally the, the next day when we put into lockdown everything got put on hold or or, or cancelled until further notice um so i guess you know the business what it was transacting went from 100 percent to 30 percent in a matter of days which is very scary um fortunately we had the furlough scheme and we put 70 percent of our consultants on the furlough scheme but we kept a group of us continue working i was one of them which i was very grateful for because i sort of needed work for my own sanity um uh but look it was a a fairly painful experience you know trying to speak with clients and and, and see if there's anything you can do in any work when frankly the instruction from most companies is that we are on a hiring freeze um so that was um that was a painful process but um you know economic downturns for me aren't always negative actually in, in in an economic downturn actually that's when a lot of people have become out of work or they start looking for work and, and they're vulnerable and for me that's when you, you you build the strongest relationships because um you're really helping people in their vulnerable state and i've built some of the best relationships with people who i placed during the pandemic or post this as well um and it's absolutely the same you know in the current economic environment it's certainly not as um certainly not as tricky as the, the, the pandemic was but there are some similar aspects and i think my advice to anyone who perhaps is struggling whether you're a recruiter or any sort of service industry where you're selling into something if you're quiet just use this as an opportunity to to, to build those relationships because when when the market turns and starts again that's when you'll you'll start reaping the rewards um i think to answer your question about hangover from from covid there were a lot of good things that came out of the pandemic that we've you know that we've continued to do things like working remotely and um using the you know using technology to uh improve processes and i absolutely i i think there's a zoom and microsoft teams in 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 the recruit in the recruitment world is actually a really positive thing it speeds up times it helps um it, it reduces the time for people to get to interview and it, and it helps the processes but um i don't think we can completely rely on technology to do absolutely everything i still think face-to-face -face contact is actually um one of the most valuable things you can do and i think we encourage i encourage my colleagues to get out there and meet people as much as possible if they really want to build um long-lasting relationships uh, i think uh where for the clients that we're recruiting for uh flexibility is now an expectation and there's a bit of a split argument some people are saying we're going back to five days a week in the office some people think we won't i still think we are absolutely somewhere in the middle there no, that makes sense and i i guess um the, the sector you recruit into is obviously built to rent um not everyone is familiar with build to rent and what that term means. So yep. how would you describe build to rent? Absolutely. I'll put my investor hat on. Um, <laughs> build to rent is a, I say new and emerging. Um, it's been new and emerging for the past decade, but it's a growing uh, subsector of the private rental sector or PRS. Uh, and, and simply it's where developers will build blocks of apartments for the sole purpose that the apartments are available for renting rather than sale. Um, and this concept is growing in popularity because if we look at uh, society, more people are renting than ever. And and that, that's caused for a couple of reasons. One, um, renting, uh, buying property is, is more unaffordable, but also there's been a secular shift where uh, people perhaps at a younger age are renting for longer. Uh, they want that flexibility. They want to try out different cities and try out different jobs before committing to buy a property. The government are very much behind the sector as well because 
as we know there's a housing crisis in the uk and they need to provide more housing so build to rent sort of meets their standards as well uh, and investors like it because it brings in consistent income uh, on a monthly basis through rent and even during a, a high inflationary environment or a pandemic or any sort of recession um people will always need a roof over their head so it acts very it's, it's a very resilient sector um during an economic downturn um, in terms of why, why why it's positive for the customer the, you know, the, the view is of private rental sector is pretty it's a pretty it's a pretty ugly uh point of view people think of poor service um rogue landlords and poor housing and the idea of built to rent it's professionally managed it's heavily amenitized so a lot of these buildings will be built in city centers near good transport links um they might have things like a gym on site shared living spaces work zones which is really appropriate for, for more people working from home um at spaces where they can interact with their neighbors and and you can build a community uh so you know that, that that's been that's been that's been really interesting so the type of built rent which has been popular perhaps the last decade is your high-rise built rent and what i mean by that is a, a block of apartment in city centers and while that's great if you actually look at the demographic of private renters across the uk the majority of, of those people perhaps a high-rise apartment isn't actually suitable for them they might have pets they might have a couple of dogs or cats they might have children and what they actually need is space so what we've seen the sector do is is actually subsectors are emerging so we're seeing something called suburban built to rent or single family housing and essentially that's sort of a neighborhood of single unit properties um again owned by one developer or landlord and they're rented rather rather than sold and we're really seeing that emerging across the uk and you know over the past 10 years most of the built to rent uh portfolio has been based in london but it's really grown nationally and the regions have have overtaken overtaken london uh, 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 and today in terms of how many apartments there are we're currently at eight, just over eighty thousand apartments are pc'd open and live and have people living within them um there's a gigantic pipeline and several are predicted by 2030 will be somewhat around three hundred fifty thousand built to rent units nationwide okay so uh a couple of things came out of that one is i've seen obviously i've been keeping a keen eye on the single family housing yeah. you know, sort of emergence of of build to rent um we we do love uh, we do love a term that nobody understands in the industry don't we you know sfhbtr multifamily prs uh, i guess um so what's it what's the main differences recruiting in build to rent as opposed to prs you know what what are you looking for are you looking for anything different in build to rent yeah I think it depends on the organogram of a business and how they're set up. If I look at sectors like hospitality or PVSA, for example, which is perhaps your, you know, what, what you were doing before, um, there's a typical structure which you see in, and most buildings will have an accommodation manager or general manager, will have a front of house team, a salesperson, housekeeping, maintenance. And most people, mo most build front companies are sort of adopting that similar structure. Um, but these single family or PRS or these sort of suburban BTR neighborhoods, where you know it's not sort of enclosed in one block of apartments and there isn't communal areas um perhaps a different structure is needed and and and, and it might not be an on-site team um it might just simply be again a property manager and a lettings person and they might be working in a local estate agent office um, it really depends on the spec of the building if they're if it's a very community light and they're not they haven't got space where perhaps there's an on-site team it will have someone in, in probably 
an, an, an office who regularly visits the site, but is that sort of point of contact. Whereas the built to rent scheme almost operates in sort of hotel style service where there very much is that sort of face to face contact. And for me, the, you know, the, I, in my opinion, um, the preferred option um, because you can really deliver proper customer experience face to face. It might be a bit of a leading question, but if, you know, with completed under construction or in planning, you know, for build to rent, what around two hundred and fifty thousand at the end of end yep. of last year. Um, you know, where are you looking to recruit talent from into build to rent? Because clearly, if the yep. sector is going from I can't remember how many you said eighty something yep. thousand already live to two hundred and fifty thousand, you know, in in the space of probably a couple of years, where are you going to find all all the great people to? To look after these residents it's it's a very good point gareth and actually i think you put it very politely and i'm i'm not scared to to be blunt i i think the the recruitment market in belturant is heading for an absolute train wreck um and 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 it's a simple supply and demand issue um i'm making a guesstimation here but as i said eighty thousand apartments live um in terms of how many people exist to operate those buildings i guess it's been more and more difficult to track the exact number, but I, I, I would put it somewhere in the region of maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred. May could be a little bit more. Again, it depends because every company's set up slightly differently. But let's say there's that many people in the sector at the moment, and we're growing to three hundred fifty thousand. So we're growing by over four times. So the amount of people that work in the sector, there's not enough people to service the future growth that's coming. Yet what happens is that you know we're very grateful when the client picks up the phone and and, and wants us to hire a general manager or a front of house person or, or, or mobilize a brand new team. We're, we're very delighted to get that call. But what's frustrating is that, you know, people want people with sector experience and it's that action which is causing two major issues. One is wage inflation and it's a simple supply and demand issue. There's not a su enough supply to meet the demand. So salaries are going up dramatically and people really having to rethink uh, that the, the salaries in their OPEX budget. And the second one is attrition. I think, you know, attrition is running at an all-time high and we've looked at some companies' OPEX budgets and I don't think, I think they've massively undercooked um, what attrition really could be. And I think people expect their attrition to be about 30%. Um, I think a lot of these operating platforms are running at 50% plus. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to sound incredibly negative, but this, I guess, insistence of sector experience, I understand why it's useful and having someone who can hit the ground running um, but that will only further cause issues with with, with wage inflation attrition. Um, and again, I don't want to feel like I'm just coming with a problem. What what we want to do is come with a solution, and and and, and the solution is yeah, we've got to, we've got to go and we've got to go and find talent, and we've got to attract people to the sector that people perhaps haven't heard of before. And you're right, you know, we what what, what we I think we've started to do and do a good job job of is identify. The, the the skill set skill sets and personality traits that work in the sector and uh, and sort of identify where where you know what are the sectors that they exist in and within operating companies that those are the people who are managing buildings once and once they're open and they're, those are the people who are keeping them alive and moving um those personality traits sit very much in the hospitality sectors so hotels high-end leisure airlines purpose-built student accommodation um you know, any 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 sort of service sectors retail as well um uh but you know the challenge is great it would be great to bring those people in but equally 
um, built to run it as a new space. There is some um, technical jargon that they won't know about, and and, and and you know managing a customer in a in a Selfridges story is going to be slightly different to managing a tenant who lives long term in a built to rent scheme. So there is an educational piece and there are brilliant qualifications out there that we know, like the um, ARLA qualification, the IRPM, which are useful tools. But I think there's a lot more we can do there. And I also think to bring down wage inflation, I think we we need to be attracting more people in right at, into the sort of the graduate or the, 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 the entry level positions. You can actually grow into the role. And I, I look at the PBSA sector and I think they were very good at that. I, you know, I, I see people who came in as, I'm going to say CSA or a customer service advisor, you might call it. And and, and people would progress. They then go to assistant manager, then accommodation manager, city manager, regional, head of ops. And I, I, I've seen I've seen some individuals who've gone all the way to a top to a CEO. And, and in an ideal world, you know, you, companies don't want to be having to replacing um, their senior level staff and having to pay large fees and large salaries to get those people. You want to be feeding into this entry level talent who can grow within your business. Um, so uh, so my short answer became very long. Um, um, but that, that's what that, that's what I honestly see. That leads me nicely on to, uh, yeah. I, I read a comment from you online, actually. Uh, so it's, uh, you said employers are now having to be highly creative in formulating a successful attraction and retention strategy. So how are they being creative to uh, attract and retain people definitely so i think when we sit we sit down with a lot of our clients and they're having these these very issues we've spoken about um you know what we do is we examine the business and we look at how they're operating and 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 branding is really interesting because a lot of companies invest in their customer brand um they're very active online and the brand looks fantastic but what actually they forget sometimes is to focus on their employer brand and there's a term which I want to, I'm sure you will have heard of, but in case anybody hasn't, um, EVP, employer value proposition. And uh, an employer value proposition it, 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 it is the sort of why do people come? Why do they stay? Where are you going? What are the, um, what's the company's mission? What are the cultural behaviors that, that you want those people to adopt? Uh, and why do they stay? And when you build a successful EVP program, um, that's what, builds loyalty and that's what allows people to stay and it, it, it's that sort of expectation versus reality if you know you're told one thing and you come and, and there's absolutely nothing in place and you don't get promotion you don't get that pay rise and the culture isn't what you thought it would be um that court you know that that causes unrest but when you've you've built that before and 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 and, 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 and everything you know, everything is expected happens um that builds trust and i think the view is if you um Employee value proposition uh, it, 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 it equals happy em employees. Happy employees uh, means they will deliver better service and, and inline your customer, happy customers. So it's sort of it's business critical. You think about that first before anything. So talking about EVP, Deverell Smith, you were seventh in the UK, hundred best yep. in the hundred best small companies to work for. So what can uh, other companies, either in recruitment or not in recruitment? Yeah, learn, so, learn from you guys about EVP. So we, um, Andrew and our managing director James Campion, um, came up with a, a really interesting idea a couple of years ago. In 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 recruitment or a sales environment, it is it is you know, um, uh, your reward is is linked to perhaps your output and 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 and, and revenue you're generating and 
and it, 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 it is a sales environment. And while, of course, that is important for the business, um, you know, we, we we felt that we wanted to reward people based on sort of meeting the cultural behaviours of the business. So um, we introduced a concept called the culture bonus, and it's not linked to um, fees. It's linked to um, you meeting cultural behaviours. And forgive me, I should know them off by heart. <laughs> One is positivity. The other is being progressive. Uh, the other is... Uh, Put me on the spot here. I should know this, um, but they they link to our culture behaviours, and we get a score. And, and and I guess what that it means is that you're you know we're we're, we're hiring people who we want we hire people who want to who, who live and breathe our values, and we'll get rewarded for that, um, which I think sends a really positive positive message out there. Next, I want to talk about candidates and hopefully talk to candidates um yeah. as is the benefit of podcasting hopefully you can reach lots of people rather than rather than just one at a time so uh what makes a great candidate for the build to rent industry i think look it it it, 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 it will depend on the role that you're looking for um i guess if we're should we pick a role in particular maybe like an offer is it, is it, it talk about general manager for example, general manager, fine. Um, so I think absolutely, it, a general manager in a build rent scheme. It was historically a very difficult role to recruit because um, there's a very diverse set of skills needed to do that. So if I go through the competencies, leading a team, that's number one. Uh, number two, it's the customer experience piece, which we've spoken about quite a lot. Number three, someone who can manage health and safety of a building. Uh, number four, someone who can manage a PL manage an OPEX budget. Number five, someone who can manage health and safety of the building. I don't know if I've managed if I've mentioned that already. Um, but as you can see, there's a lot of different components there and actually trying to identify somebody who've done all of those things, it's actually really difficult. And if you look at like an estate agent, people go, oh, could a property manager and estate agency do it? They might be able to, but do they do they operate working in a front of house role where they're managing people and they're going into the detail? Probably not. That's where we look at hotel managers and accommodation managers and student because they're doing something very similar. I sorry, that's the one I missed. Leasing or sales, the leasing of the units. So finding someone who's done all of these things was really difficult. And that's where we've looked at people with 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 with, with those transferable skills. Um I think in so that's more the 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 the, the, the sort of the experience and the skill set in terms of sort of personality traits. I think property is, I, I, I personally believe it's a very social, a very nice sector. I think everybody's quite collaborative. I think everyone's quite fun. On a Friday after, on a, on a Friday or now a Thursday, given everyone works home on a Friday, you can never really get hold of anyone because everybody's going out socialising in some shape or form. So I think it's someone who enjoys interaction, enjoys being with people and, and wants to sort of foster that, foster that through their team as well. Uh, is there I think a... it's about five, 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 yeah I've just thought of another one as well it sounds a bit cliche saying resilience but I, I I do have a huge respect a huge respect for anyone who works in property management um because I think you're you're dealing with difficult situations and quite often unhappy tenants who having something wrong going with their property and you're having to face the brunt of it and and and, and, and sometimes that's out of your control and uh, you know, I think the, the view is when you're you want to reduce stress or get through your workload, it's it, it's actually getting through it and and actioning it. 
but I know property management that doesn't always happen and you might have an issue and you, you wish you could sort it out on that day before you go home and you can relax but no it might go into the next day because you've got to get a specialist contractor in or there's someone else that needs to take a look at it and um I would find that very difficult to switch off going home not completing the task so um I think it's a a, a level of resilience um and I can imagine at the start it's harder but the, the more experience you get the, the more used to it you are so yeah and no, I, I really commend people who work in any sort of property management role in the sector is there somebody you don't have to name them but is there somebody you've recruited in build to rent you think yeah I really got that one right um I think we recruited a lady called Alex Morrison at Goodstone Living. Um, she is their operations director. Uh, she uh, worked previously in PBSA. I think she worked in Urban Nest. Um, and then she was working at Real Star Group for about eight years. Um, brilliant candidate. You know, uh, demonstrate a level of loyalty. I think you know, there's been this huge secular shift where perhaps people don't stay in their roles as long as they used to. Um, but definitely had demonstrated loyalty there and she'd gone in to achieve everything she wanted to do. And was quite unique in that she demonstrated all the skill sets that I'd mentioned. She'd done it in a BTR environment and she's going to a platform who really need a safe pair of hands and, and sort of that market expert who can, who can make those decisions and to make things easier. She's a lovely person. <laughs> that, that definitely always helps. I'm sure. Um, I guess, I mean, I don't want to preempt the answer, but is there certain roles you're hiring for now that you weren't hiring for previously? Yeah. Um, so I've been at Devil Smith for about five and a half years now. Um, and when I when I when I started in the business, we were focused only on the upside, which I've perhaps talked quite heavily about this this session. And and those are the people who once a building is open. Who are the people who keep it alive and moving? And those are every for everyone from the front of house team to the building manager. Um, and that's been great, but um, you know, there's a whole life cycle out there in, in property. And and I guess what we've done the last couple of years and what I've been involved in is actually how can we support clients across that entire build trend life cycle? So, you know, there's there's other disciplines to consider. So the first discipline is investment. Those are people who think about doing deals. So it could be an investment manager. It could be an acquisitions person and those are the people who are doing all the underwriting and all the deal execution and the negotiation to actually make it happen the second discipline that we've been involved in now is development construction so once the deal is completed who are the people who think about building buildings mostly your development managers your construction people uh, your builders um project managers um who actually bring the whole thing to life third discipline i mentioned is operations and then the fourth discipline um corporate services so who are the people who sort of maintain the life cycle of any business so it could be hr marketing finance uh legal um so you know i i i think we've do, me personally we've we've really pushed across all of those disciplines and, and i'm really pleased we've done that i don't think we scratched the service i think there's lots of areas we still haven't i think what's been more exciting to me gareth is that we're we're also touching other geographies. We've been historically a very a, you know focused on the UK. Um, Built to rent is not a new concept globally. Um, uh, the US, it's an incredibly mature market over there. Just to give you an example of scale, Dallas, which is one city in Texas, 
has over a million built-to-rent apartments. They call it multifamily over there, which makes it a little bit more confusing. That's because we're, we're obsessed with ownership, home ownership in this country rather than renting. <laughs> Whereas uh, exactly. you, don't find, you don't find that in certain other countries. Well, maybe and the, the buildings are really, the buildings are interesting over there. Um, um, perhaps the customers' needs are slightly different from what we want in the UK and they're heavily amenitized. And they have everything from dog parlors to absolutely everything you can think of. Um, there, there are other um, countries as well. Say Germany is a, is, a, is, a, is a very big renting society. There's a lot of built rent over there. Um, the other places we're focused on at the moment, Australia, um, you very much have sort of the, the same components as the UK, the, a huge shortage of housing, um, housing, another housing crisis being unaffordable for people to buy. And they're, they, they've got around five to 10,000 live at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's it. Uh, apart from managing about about three time zones, it's been um, it's really fun to to work in those different locations. And something I've uh, been talking a lot about on this podcast is uh, flexible working, and I know we touched on it. Um, I see yeah. Devil Smith recently acquired Daisy Chain. Correct. So, um, I mean, for those of you listening who don't know about Daisy Chain, maybe you could describe what that is and and how that's sort of going to play a role in perhaps filling the gaps in traditional recruitment, if it is. Absolutely. So um, the Daisy Chain, yeah, we we acquired the business two weeks ago. It's led by a lady called Louise. And um, Daisy Chain is a platform which allows, uh, which connects people who are looking for flexible work and connects them with employers who are looking to hire uh, flexible um, contracts. Um, So that could be anything from... Some ad hoc work you know they might you know, some, a, a company might need someone for a couple of weeks to do some admin it could be looking for someone but perhaps um they don't need them to start till midday or they can leave earlier and you know we it, it's very much been uh, i guess grew in real estate um because we've been very well connected to the business um but it's been set up to support clients uh you know, across all sectors um so that's been a, that. That's brilliant. Been a, a a brilliant tool for us, and I think it's a big win to bring Daisy Chain on board. And I think it's uh, um, flexible working is here to stay. As much as not everybody wants it, uh, it is here to stay. And there's a huge uh, group of people um, who are seeking it. So I think it's going to be um, a really good platform. And and I hope um, in my sector, built to rent as well. One thing um, people ask me a lot about is. Uh, certainly about and they've asked me to ask guests is we want to find out a little bit more about you obviously we talked a little bit about you at the start um but what does your daily routine look like if you have one yeah um i'd love to say i'd love to have a, a, a brilliant routine and say i get up go to the gym go run but um it doesn't always it doesn't always turn out that way um but look, you know, in, in recruitment or in executive search, um, there are some consistencies, but but ultimately every day is slightly different, and that 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 is usually based on projects we're working on, who we're working with, and where they are. So, you know, for example, I was in in I was at MIPIM, which is a big property conference in France. So I could be there one week. Next week, I'm in Leeds for 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 UK Reef, which is another property conference. But if I look at a normal week, um, wake up, I wake up at seven used to do earlier but i'm 
as I spoke to you earlier, I'm really focused on trying to have eight hours sleep. So I very strictly try and do that 11, uh, 11 till seven now. Um, I think in the mornings when we're, we're in the office and I'm always in uh, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, I think we, we have a, an internal rule at Devil Smith that perhaps we're, we're, all, we're, we're no one's out perhaps at meetings, but all at the desk uh, and, and we're making calls. And I think in a sales business, it's really good to have that sort of collaboration and that energy. Uh, you know, the, the issue we had with the pandemic was that we found that the office was only ever 50% full every day. And that was a real issue to try and maintain that energy and that culture that that Andrew had built in the business. And uh, so we have everybody in every morning and that's where we're speaking to candidates, speaking to clients, and it could be anything from candidates who are looking for work to candidates who are in process with us at the moment. Uh, and, uh, 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 and absolutely the same for clients. In the afternoon, um, that is absolutely time for for going out meeting people building relationships and um i have you know there's a lot of flexibility i can do what you know it doesn't have to be at someone's office go out for a drink we can go out for some lunch we can have a couple of drinks and uh, and, and that doesn't stop into the evening as well uh see look, it sounds like there's a lot you know i'm on the phone a lot and i'm meeting a lot of people and actually i have to make sure i have time to complete those tasks like um I don't know, formatting CVs, submitting shortlists, uh, giving feedback, giving updates. And that's where my, my work from home days on a Monday and Friday uh, can be incredibly useful. But as I mentioned at the start, I have a full-time researcher, Rachel, who works for me. She's the brain box doing all the hard work and the mapping and the contacting behind the scenes. And that's made my life a lot easier to actually go out and, and, and network and, 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 and build relationships. Um, uh, so after that's all done, I'd like to think I'd try and go for a run, and I I I, I do most times. Um, it depends how you feel. I'm only a human being. I do enjoy the uh, videos I've seen on LinkedIn of you walking to work. I assume you're walking to work, uh, giving us an update on the sector. I think. Yeah, I've, I I've done it twice now, and everybody's like, "Yeah, you should keep doing that." It's a quarterly update, um, and I like to be very honest. I think that that's probably why it resonates with people. I, think I guess so. I, I guess yeah. I have this. I've never worked in recruitment. Obviously, um, I know uh, know a lot of people in the industry, um, but my my sort of perception of it is um, incredibly fast paced, hard targets, relentless. You know, trying to you know make sure that you're getting candidates over, and that's you know it takes a lot of organising. Um, you know, to get the right I think it, 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 you're absolutely right, and that, and that, and that's very typical in a contingent recruitment business. And that yeah. in a contingent recruitment business, perhaps they're working uh, on roles and they're working at volumes. They're, they're they're managing various projects at once, and and perhaps they're they're working. It, it, there's other agencies who are working at the same time, and they need to move very quickly. Um, what I do is actually you know, it, it, it's proper search, and there's a process that goes in behind it but what actually that means is that uh the time taken to to to, to execute that project can be a lot longer so um you know the mandates that we, we we sort of advise clients that they could take between 12 and 14 weeks from you instruct us to doing a short list from the interview process do all the research uh, and place the candidate it should take 12 to 14 weeks and then you have to factor in a notice period so searches we wish they could be as quick as that but they can take up to a year that's um, yeah. so i think my my role's dramatically changed where actually it's pretty uh, it's it's a lot more slow paced than, um, than it used to be but the, the team beneath me who are doing that obster 
you're absolutely right they're they're working at 100 miles per hour i guess um managing people's expectations that getting the right hire can take up to a year is uh might be quite difficult sometimes absolutely but you know I think my, my view is that having the right people in the key positions is is business critical uh, and that can be the single determining factor of whether the business succeeds or not um okay so, so um we've come to the time of quick fire round questions so what advice would you give to someone who wants to change their direction but doesn't know where to start I think don't be scared don't be scared to make the first move and, and don't be scared to make mistakes and um, you know the the analogy the the, the 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 example i used at the start um i put myself i threw myself in the deep end and put myself in some situations i was very uncomfortable with but make that step uh see that as a success don't worry if you have any drawbacks and, and actually just keep going and if you could change one thing about the world what would it be I would remove social media and I'm one of these people that uses it. But I think the world would be a lot happier place if, um, it would, I think it'd be a lot happier place without it. No judging. My dad was a teacher and he was always moaning to me about some incident that happened with pupils over Snapchat. And this was over 10 years ago. And he was like, do you know what this is? I'm like, yeah, life would be a lot easier. Okay. And what is going to be your next big change? Um, so it is exactly what I told you, the executive search business. So Devil Smith are going to um, actually, uh, we're, we're launching a new sub-brand within the group, only focus on executive search. And while I've been involved in senior hires over uh, the last two years, I guess we're going to the next level and it's going to be looking solely after um, C-suite or, or board level positions. Um, that's a big challenge, but I'm really excited for it. Um, and I guess it solidifies my career at Devil Smith for the next couple of years. Okay, and final question as always, if you were to recommend a guest for me to speak to on Know Your Shift, who would it be and why? I There's a couple of people I can recommend. I think you should definitely speak to Nicola Breeman, uh, who is a, uh, she's a director at Devil Smith. She's a very much a trailblazer of women in, women in property. She's highly uh, successful and known in the estate agency space and she's a lot of fun. Uh, the second person I'd speak to is a chap called Sam Smith. I won't announce what he does yet because he's about to do something. Um, but he's a built around guru. He's worked in lots of senior ops roles. Uh, he's worked at Dandara, worked at Countrywide, worked at Get Living. Um, you'll have a great chat with him. Great. Well, uh, we'll certainly reach out to them uh, once the episode's out, see if we can have some conversations with them. So I uh, just wanted to say thanks very much for uh, coming on Know Your Shift, Nick. It's been really great to talk to you. and. You know, I really wanted to get you on on the podcast, particularly talking about build to rent um, and recruitment. And we went through, we got through a few things, uh, uh, certainly in and out of the sector. Um, um, yeah, thanks very much. Thank you, Gareth. Appreciate it.